paying attention to this, uh, Pastor Josh and Pastor Crystal both have been really overworking themselves, doing all the stuff they're doing. I, I had somebody say to me maybe two or three weeks ago, well, I guess life is pretty easy around Church of Briargate now because you guys are staying home all day. Um, first, that's not happening. And uh, second, everybody around here is actually working much, much harder than they normally would. This is, this is very taxing to do everything that they're doing and put all this stuff out. And I just wanted to make mention of that with our, um, with our, our specifically our children and our youth. I don't know if Pastor Sam's working all that much harder, but everybody else, everybody else is working so much harder. Um, it, 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 this, is a lot, this is a lot more challenging for us to do all of the stuff that we're doing this way. Uh, so, so we're going to, as, as everybody is uh, slowly filtering back into the church building on Sunday mornings, we're going to just stay with the 10 a.m. Serv- service and let you know um, what's, what's, we'll let you know as we get there. I'll send out little videos and some of the things I've been doing to let you know uh, what, is, what is happening with this, okay? So, so some of you that are calling and saying, hey, can we bring our kids, whatever. You know, again, use your own discretion. Um, I'm not. I'm not the Pied Piper. I'm not making a rally call to people or whatever the case is. The, I, I do want to mention this for next week. I want to mention two things. One is if you if you are not listening to the Wednesday night services, you need to be. Specifically, this last Wednesday night, you know I don't normally say, "Hey, go back and listen to something," or or pay attention to this service or whatever. This this I think Wednesday night was as important for us. First, as a church Briargate body, but second, as a church in the country uh, right now and, and across the world, I think Wednesday night was as important a message as, as you could hear. Uh, please, please go listen to that. And then next week, um, I, I really strongly have been processing this on a lot of levels, and, and this may sound surprising to all of you that have been paying attention the last five, six, seven weeks of my messages. I really have been... Um, I really have, okay, this is true, I really have been holding back a lot. And some of you are like, that's not, that's not, how could you have been? Trust me, I'm not going to hold back next week. Our country, our country is in a horrible uh, political constitutional crisis right now. A huge, on a scale from 1 to 10, about a 15. And, and most people in our country are not recognizing this. But the reason is because we are in a huge spiritual crisis in our country right now. And the church is being complicit in harming us as a people, as a country, and in our Christian walk. The church should be the prophetic voice during these times. And we are being the exact opposite. And we are helping Satan achieve his goals in our country right now, and I'm going to talk about that next week. And here's what we are not suffering for with right now in our country. We are not suffering with a health crisis in our country right now, but we are suffering a spiritual and, and definitely an economic and a, and a constitutional crisis. And so that's what I'm going to be talking about next week, um, just to let you know. All right. <clears throat> That's all I'll say about that, hopefully. I'm going to try not to go there this morning. Um, part of the reason is I think there are some things that 
Satan really is undermining us as a country, and, and we are so blind to it that we really do think that this is a health issue. Satan is attacking the church, and he's attacking our spiritual walk right now. And, and some of the things, I'm going to talk about a lot more of those next week, but I'm going to just focus in on, on a one thing this morning that has to do with um, one of the reasons that, that Satan is doing what he's doing. I, I, I'm, I've been paying attention a lot. I, I, mentioned, um, I mentioned Bonhoeffer last week, and, uh, and it's been a while since I've read his biography. So this week I went back and I read a bunch of stuff, and I also watched some uh, documentaries um, online, um, on, on my TV, different things about Bonhoeffer, about what happened in World War II and some of the things and this is the crazy thing that we don't see. See, the church is waiting. The church has already designed in its head what the, what, how the country is going to fall apart at the end times and how everything is going to be all weird. And um, if you're old enough, most of you I know are, are not old enough, but I, I remember growing up in the 70s when all these weird, you know, like, you, you got um, A movies and B movies, and these were like um, uh, W and a half movies that were horribly low budget, horribly produced, horribly written, but they all had to do with the end times, and it showed all this like Mad Max kind of mentalities, people running around in fatigues and all that. That is not going to be what the end times is about. We've already seen in Scripture where it says it's going to be like the days of Noah, which is blatant sin, but everybody's going to be just going through life. It's going to be normal life. Satan cannot come out and have uh, the leaders of our country say, Everybody go into quarantine because we hate God, and we want to try to control people and destroy Christianity and tear apart, but that is exactly what is happening. It is being done covert because Satan is good at what he does, and we're buying into it. And here's one of the focuses we must, we've got to look at, is Satan wants to keep us separated. Now, in my, in my estimation, Satan is good at what he does, but, but here's a weird thing. He knows what Scripture says, but he chooses to disbelieve the reality of the finality of what Jesus says. So in other words, here's the best, easiest example. Satan really thought when, when he, now this, I'm using it like Satan was in charge, but he wasn't. When Satan hung Jesus on the cross, he thought he was winning. That's the weird thing about it. Because Jesus had said many, many, many times through many, many different prophets and through his own voice that that's exactly what he came to this earth to do. But Satan is so arrogant, he believes he can destroy us. And actually, he, he plays into God's uh, prophetic hand. Okay? That's what happened at the cross. He's done it many times since then. Uh, and, I, and I believe at the end times, he's going to do the same thing. Scripture shows us this. So, so one of the things that he has tried to do is he's tried to separate the community, Christian community, literally all across the world. Uh, this happens all the time in other countries. We're just experiencing it for the first time ever here in the United States, where we've been told you cannot go to church, that somehow somebody can make a law. Okay, I'm gonna, that's next week. You cannot make a law for us not to go to church. You cannot Make a law. And it is the responsibility written in the Constitution, specifically in the Bill of Rights, that if government makes a law that hinders that, you must, as a citizen, disobey that law. It says it in the Bill of Rights. It says it. Go read it. 
That's next week, so let me back up. So here's the thing. Satan is trying to convince, uh, the, 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 well, not convince, he tried to trap us into not meeting together, congregating together, things like that, because he believes that that will destroy the church. He tried, he's tried this in many, many countries around the world for many times, and people have, have uh, flagrantly broke the law. Again, that's next week. And, and congregated together, and Satan loses. Best example we have is China. When, when, when all the missionaries were pulled out of China and the church was made illegal, and you have the above-ground church that is legal, but not the true gospel, oh, it's nice and pretty and social, and we all you know, get along and do what the government says. But, but this is happening in the United States right now, is we're starting to see a split, and I believe this is going to grow over the next six to eight months, where where we're going to see more of an underground thinking, not, not legally yet, not in the law system, not in like uh, penal code or stuff like that, but we're going to start seeing a continuous separation between the socially acceptable church and the verbiage of the church and, and, and true Christians we're saying, that are saying, we, this is the gospel, we've got to preach the gospel. So Satan is trying to separate us, he's trying to hurt us, he's trying to hinder us by, by somehow causing us not to be able to meet together. Now, part of the reason I'm saying this is, is, and I'll remind us this at the end, is I believe as we process through the next six, eight months, nine months, um, the CDC has already put out its plans for when COVID, COVID comes back in the fall, how quarantine is going to start much quicker. If you're not paying attention to this stuff, you need to get online and read news, real news, not CNN, not goofy fake stuff, but real news. Read the actual CDC uh, things that they're releasing and all this other stuff. They're already planning to quarantine us again later this fall, and they already have the outline for it. Now, here's the interesting thing. We don't even have COVID yet there. It's, it hasn't existed. They're just assuming it's going to, and it's going to be here again, and they're going to shut everything down again. Guys, our country cannot continue to take this. We've got to start saying, no, we're going to do this. And so part of the reason I'm talking about this this morning is to encourage you. You need to think about some of this stuff. I'm talking about parents, thinking about this for families and stuff. You need to get together with other Christians. Even if they put us down in quarantine again, you need to not listen to that, and you need to get together as Christians. Maybe a couple families at somebody's house, something like that, where you need to get together with other Christians because it is vital that you do so. It is vital that you do so. When somebody says to me something along the lines of, well, I don't think you have to go to church to be a Christian. And then they explain all the reasons and how they're, you know, they're meeting with, you know, somebody and, and they, you know, over a cup of coffee and somebody said God during this conversation. Here's what I always know. When somebody says, do you have to go to church to be a Christian? Here's some basic things I know. They are not a mature Christian. They may go to church a lot. They may even have degrees in theology, but they are not a mature Christian. And they are not chasing after God. They're chasing after something else. If you're hungry for God and you're chasing after God and you want to be in his word and obedient to him, you will not only see the necessity of getting together with other Christians, you will see the, the, um, the, 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 uh, the danger of not getting together with other Christians. You will hunger to be together with other Christians. And if you don't desire to be together with other Christians and worship together and meet together, it's because you're, you're so wrapped up in yourself and your idea of how you're going to serve God that you don't actually know who God is in the process. Now, I know I've never come out that strong about it, but that's because I try to be nice. But that's the truth, and that's how I really feel about it. I know you are not a mature Christian if you say that. You can't be. Now, <clears throat> 
This is why this is so important. First, people need to interact. People need to interact. Here's another statistic you ought to look up just to see. How many just since this quarantine stupidity has been forced upon us unconstitutionally by our government? Again, that's next week. So, um, how, many, how much the suicide rates have gone up in our country? What we are doing right now is more harmful to us than the amount of deaths that we're having from COVID. And I know that's not a popular thing to say, and, and I will be attacked this week for it, I know. In fact, something I already did, just so you know, um, I, I've been so processing this over the last couple of weeks, and I'm getting so tired of pastors and Christians that are, that are just being complicit and pushing forward a, an agenda that Satan is doing to our country, that I went this, this last week, last two days, I went on Facebook, and I took almost every minister off of Facebook for me. I didn't take them off. I don't have the power to just take them off Facebook. But in my Facebook page, because I can't do this anymore. I can't. I can't. Basically, the only people I have on Facebook now are some um, church people, you guys, and, um, and some friends. And uh, that's about it. Because I, I can't keep seeing this. Guys, we have, got to, we have got to put Christ first, and we are not putting Christ first. We're putting everything else, and we call it the law, we call it our government, we call it COVID and everything, but we've got to put Christ first, and we've got to put each other next, and we're not doing that either. We are not putting the body of Christ, the priority of the body of Christ, in our view and saying this is the direction that we're supposed to walk. This is what we're supposed to think. This is how we're supposed to do this. We are, we are sacrificing a lot of things in the name of all this other stuff, and it's hurting us. It is hurting us. So many, so many pastors and, and, and ministry organizations and everything are coming out, and I don't think their motives are wrong. Okay, don't misunderstand this. I don't think their motives are wrong, but everybody's coming out with all of these. Um, what, what to do, how, how do we approach the new challenge of the new era as people start coming back to church after COVID? Here are 10 simple things that the church needs to do during this time of, of, um, of church crisis or whatever the case is. I think those things are dumb. I don't think they're, at, they're wrong for doing it. I don't think their motives are wrong. I think they're really trying to do the right thing. But here is the reality of this for me. I have always preached the same thing. I am always going to preach the same thing. I don't need 10 new rules to look at. Here's what we preach. God is in charge of everything. We love him with everything about us. People are God's priority. We love them with everything about us. We pursue God. We reach people. That's it. That's always been the message. It's never not been the message. We don't need a new message now that we've had COVID any more than we needed a new message when many, 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 many more people died from the flu last year. We didn't need a new message. Nobody came out with books, 10 top reasons that you need to do or 10 new things a church needs to do because of the flu. We didn't do that, although more people died then. And twice as many died in 2018. And we didn't come up with all this stuff. I think the reason the church is so quick to do this stuff is because we're not really standing in the middle of this and preaching the gospel week after week, year after year already. We've already compromised. We've already created something new that's more of a social gospel. It's more of a connection gospel. And so therefore, now we have to reconnect and re-socialize under new rules when in reality, that, that's not, that is not the case. It's not necessary. It's actually, it's actually counterproductive. In Acts 4, when they began to uh, be put in jail for preaching the gospel, which was against the law, and they broke the law. 
They got put in jail for it. They didn't come up with the 10 new plans now that the church is being put in jail. What did they do? They got together, they prayed, they were filled with the Holy Spirit because they prayed for boldness and they went out and started breaking the law again. The very next day, breaking the law, breaking the law, breaking the law again. Because why? It's the gospel. We preach Jesus Christ crucified and and witnessing to others. That's what we preach. We don't need new plans, new gospels, new integration programs for the church. In fact, I believe that the church, and I'm saying not the leadership of the church, but the average person in the church, as their eyes are beginning to be opened more and more, and I do believe that is happening, as that happens, I believe that we're going to potentially, in certain pockets, not across the country, because I believe the church is separating, But I believe we're going to start seeing moves of God in churches that are focused upon Jesus and they're leaving all the other junk behind. Because people are realizing we're at a transitional place in our country and we should have been serving Jesus and we haven't been and we need to get back to Jesus. And the church needs to see that. Or the church is going to turn into this this already more than already fake, nothing, no transition of life, no transformation of souls and stuff like that. We are losing salvation and we are gaining church. And hopefully this, this crisis, there's not a health crisis, this spiritual crisis will bring people back to their knees. And I'm praying that so much every single day. Hebrews chapter 10, let me show you some things. Verse 19, And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. No other reason. Blood of Jesus. You can come into God's throne room because of the blood of Jesus. Not because of a church mentality, not because of theology, not because of how somebody believes this and and teaches it. It's because of the blood of Jesus. That is it. The blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. And since we have a high priest, and since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, God is the one that is in charge. Jesus' blood gains us access into the presence of God. It is the blood of Jesus that makes all that possible. Now, <clears throat> let's jump down to verse 22. Now, in, in 22 through 25, there are there are four things that are established. A, a, lot of, a lot of theologians and stuff say there's only three because they include 24 and 25, and I don't understand why they do. 24 and 25 are separate. Those are two separate things. They are not the same thing. They don't fit together. I mean, they go together like all four of them do, but because he says, let us, let us, let us, let us, it lets us know that there are four different things. The reason that I, I'm kind of pushing that right here is because I'm going to focus on the last two. They are different. They are not the same. They're not part of the same category. There's not three things here. There are four things here. All right? Verse 22, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. That's the first thing. Because of the blood of Jesus Christ, because we have access into the throne room of God, he says, let us do this. Let us go right into God's uh, presence. Okay, that's the first thing. For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean and our bodies have been washed with pure water. In other words, you can't get into that throne room unless, you're, unless you've been sprinkled clean by the blood of Jesus. Okay? You, you don't step in there. You, you try to get into to God's throne room without the blood first, you can't. But if somehow you could, uh, you'd die. It's not, I mean, literally, boom. Okay? Here's the second thing. Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep his promise. Do you belong to Jesus? The answer is yes, then hold tight to that, okay? Those are the first two things. Go in his presence, hold tight, 
to uh, what God has promised us. Okay, now here's the next two, and this is what I'm going to focus on through the rest of this message. Verse uh, 24, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. That's the first thing. What's the third in this list? Okay, let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. That's a complete separate thing. Let us motivate one another to love and good works. That's one thing. Let us not neglect our meeting together. That's a total different thing. Those, those, one is done outward. The other is done inward. Um, how, that we need to get together so that we can develop and learn and do it so that we can motivate each other to acts of good love. These are two separate things. And this is what I want us to focus on because I think this is one of the things that um, Jesus is trying, uh, I'm sorry, Satan is trying to steal this from us, and Jesus is trying to warn us of this, okay? Let me, <clears throat> let me read them again. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. That's our responsibility as Christians. We've got to do that. Let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do. Th- th- this was the group I mentioned earlier when somebody says, um, well, do we really need to get together? Can you be a Christian and not go to church or whatever the case is? It, it, red flags immediately go off for me. You, you're not a mature Christian. And on top of that, you don't have a desire to be because if you had a desire to be, you would need to get together with other people. You would need to get together with other Christians. And I'm going to go over the reasons for this. But encourage one another. You know, the next verse, I don't have it included in this, but the, you know what the next verse is? I think it's one of the stronger verses in Scripture, specifically attacking a once-saved-always-saved mentality. The next verse is, um, if you go on sinning willfully, there no longer remains forgiveness for your sins. I don't think that that's an accident that it came right after uh, get together with other Christians. Don't neglect getting together. Go to church. Have corporate gatherings. Have not just you and a person. Have corporate gatherings. Get people together. Not just a, a couple people you like, but get a room full of people that are trying to serve Jesus from all different w- walks of life, all different mentalities. Some of them you don't like. Some of them you do. Some of them you get along with. Some of them you don't. The ones you don't get along or, with are just as important in that context as the ones you do get along with. It's very important that we get together with other Christians. The ones, the ones you don't necessarily like. That now, part of the reason you don't like them is because of personality things, but sometimes it's because there's things in our hearts we need to change. This is the way I deal with it when it comes to marriage. I really believe that um, part of the reason that couples, um, married couples, disagree, uh, argue, fight, or whatever the case is, is because God designed you to be married to somebody that is unique for you as sandpaper. God designed you to marry sandpaper. That, sand, that person is not sandpaper to other people like they are to you. Now, not all the time. If it's all the time, you just walk around chafed and that's not good for anybody. But they're designed to, to, um, to be iron sharpens iron. They're designed to, to knock the edges off of you. This is not gender. This is women for men, men for women. We're, we, need, we need people in our life that will disagree with us. We need people in our life that will, that will rub us the wrong way sometimes. Now, that doesn't mean you're always hanging out with those people, but it is, it is important 
that the body of Christ be extremely diverse. Now, usually when we think of those terms, we think of, of ethnicity and things like that. I, that's included, yes, but I don't think that's the priority. I think the priority of diversity is different means of different ways of thinking about Jesus, different ways of understanding him, different ways of looking at scripture, different ways of, of uh, serving Jesus and loving him. And, and the unique way that you understand and know Jesus is most of the time going to edify and build up other people. But sometimes it's going to rub people wrong because they've not, they don't think about it like that. <clears throat> we all have a tendency toward legalism. And when we're truly chasing after God and the people around us are truly chasing after God, then our legalism will be exposed even when we don't want it to be. Even when we don't know it exists, our legalism will be exposed and, and, and it will chip away at that and it will be uncomfortable to us. Okay? When, when, you've had a, um, <clears throat> when you've had a difficult week and you've been arguing with the spouse and you get together with, I'm a guy, so I'm going to use the guys, you get together with some of the guys and you're sitting around talking and they're godly men trying to follow God. It's amazing how they're going to all say, they don't know it, they don't know what they're doing, but they're all going to pick on what you just said to your, to your wife that week. They don't know it. They're just hanging out with the guys talking, and it's like everything they say is, is picking right on you. Some way you acted at work, or some way you acted in the community, and everything they say is going to be picking right at just, just and, and your response is just, I don't need these guys. They're all up in my business. They don't know you're in your, they're in your business. They're just being godly men. Just... They're just talking, hanging out. They think we're having a good time, and all of a sudden somebody's mad and leaves. <laughs> I know that's what pastors deal with all the time. So <clears throat> the first thing, motivate one another to acts of love and good works. Motivate one another. There's a lot of things in Scripture that talk about this. I'm not, I don't have time to hit them all. I'll just, I'll just mention some of these. Scripture tells us to take care of the widows and the orphans. Why? Because they can't take care of themselves. Those are acts of love and good works. Take care of, take care of people that need taken care of. Take care of people that are struggling through something. Everybody doesn't have to know about it. You'd be surprised at the things that we do here as a church. And this is not individualistic. This is as a body. The things we do as a church body to try to help people, to try to minister to people and stuff. I don't get up, I don't get up and talk about that stuff. Part of the reason is it's not necessarily anybody else's business. In fact, <clears throat> I always kind of question somebody when they, when they really help somebody through a difficult situation and then have to tell everybody about it. I question that. Is that why you did it? Is that why you're helping? Is that motivate, motivate our responsibility? My responsibility as a pastor and all of our responsibility as Christians is to motivate people to do what God has said. Motivate people toward love and good works. Try to figure out how to minister to somebody. Try to figure out how to help somebody. Do something. How, how can you do this? Lynn and I were talking about some of this this week, some of the things we're going to try to do <clears throat> as the restrictions are lifted in our neighborhood. We have so many new people in our neighborhood, just in the houses like right around us. We're, we're like the only people that have been there longer, except one guy on the end. We're like the only people that have been there longer than like a year and a half. I, I, our neighborhood just just rotates all the time. I don't know why. But um, so we, we need to get to know people. We want to help people. And I'm, we're just coming up with ideas. What would work? What can we do here? How can we just, how can we just connect with people and minister to people? I don't know. It may be, it may be hokey. A few years ago for Christmas, I have so second-guessed myself for this since then. We, we got together a little package, and we took it around to all of our neighbors, some behind us and, and some along the, the, the block around us, and we put some, some, um, some um, food and stuff in the bag. And, and as we, like two or three days before, I thought, you know what? I'll, I'll give everybody a copy of my marriage series. And so I, I made all the CDs, and I, and I put them in the bags, like 10 bags, 
We took it around, and I have thought to myself, most of my neighbors stopped talking to me right around then. And now a lot of them move, so they don't know this. And I thought to myself, is there a chance, because they don't know I gave them to everybody. They only know I gave it to them. Is there a chance that they thought our, our neighbors are bad husbands and wives? Here's this gift of a... So sometimes you don't always hit it on the head right. I don't know how it went. I, I may be overthinking that, and they may have just totally enjoyed it, although nobody has ever said a word to me about it, and they kind of stopped talking. So they probably think we're judging their marriage. I don't know. So think about what you're doing. Think about these gifts, of these acts of love and, 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 and good works and things. Think about it, because it doesn't always come across to other people the way you think it does. That's just, that's just my uh, little insight there. Okay, taking care of the widows and orphans. Take care of the poor. Taking care of the poor. Guys, there are so many people that are struggling financially right now because of this stupid fake pandemic. There are so many people that are losing everything, losing their houses, losing their businesses. They are losing everything because of the stupidity that we're doing as a country. Think about that. How can you help people? This, this goopy little penance that the government's throwing at us, that, that the average minimum wage worker, maybe it helps them, maybe, maybe, and I don't even think that because I've had conversations with them. But this is a joke that the government is playing on us, and people are losing their businesses. They're losing their livelihood. And we need to think, the church is responsible to think about how to, what can we do about this. Here's one, because I've, I've just heard this so much lately. People are saying, well, okay, so you take a couple weeks off from going to church together. It doesn't matter. It's not really changing anything. The church is not really affected. Okay, here is truth. If you just want truth... Here is truth. Do you realize how many, just think about springs right now. Just, just mentally drive through springs in your head right now. How many schools, public schools, have churches in them? Because most cities in Colorado, the whole state, most, Colorado Springs is not as bad, although a lot of schools are also doing this in Colorado Springs. Most schools in, Colorado, in, in the state of Colorado have made it... Um, have banned churches from using their facilities through the end of this calendar year. Churches depend upon that. They started a church with an agreement from a school. They cannot pay a, a building mortgage. They can't do this stuff. And we've got churches just in the Assemblies of God, but this is all across all denominations. Churches are closing down by the dozens every week. They cannot have church anymore, and they will never be able to have church unless they can find a facility that will take them. They depended on public schools, and this stupid pandemic hoax is shutting churches down by the dozens and dozens every month. And we say, oh, it doesn't matter. It's not affecting the church. That I, you, know, you know, just, just since I'm on my horse here, I, I believe this. I believe a lot of churches didn't mind taking a couple weeks off and not having church or maybe doing a little halfway church service online or something from their living room for 20 minutes or whatever, because you got a lot of lazy pastors that are loving this. And they don't care about their people. They don't care about people are dying out there spiritually, separated. They're, they're, the depression rates are going crazy. People are losing their jobs, all this other stuff. And we're buying into this dumb pandemic. And in reality, the church should be stepping up during these times. We should be trying to fight against this. And I don't mean stepping up and sending an extra Bible study out online. That is not even close to what I think. 
I'm saying the church, the leadership of churches should be shouting at governments and saying, this is not okay. This is not okay. You cannot do this to us. I think there needs to be civil disobedience from churches, and they need to have church anyway. And I, and I, I, I hesitated when this first started, and everybody was saying it's only going to be a couple weeks, and I've been telling you it is not going to be just a couple weeks, and now we're working on three months. And it's going to get worse. We're, we're going to see some relaxation for a while, but the ball is rolling, and, and we're going to see worse and worse over the next six, nine months, a year, two years. We're going to see worse and worse and worse because Satan has proved that the church will lay down just like everybody else will. And there's no, well, there are. I hope I'm one of these, but there are. There's starting to be churches across the nation that are standing up like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and saying, we're not going to do this. We're not going to do this. I, 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 I believe that's why there's going to be this separation because they're already being vilified. I know this because I have been vilified by saying these things. Guys, there has to come a point when we realize that it is vitally important that we get together. People in China risk their lives just to get together because they understand the necessity of this. People in, in North Korea they, they, they risk their lives every day to get together with other Christians because they know it is vital that we not neglect getting together. They know it's vital, and they break the law daily to just to get together, just to, just to worship. I, I know this. I have, been, I have been in China where we... Where I, it's probably been a few years since I told this, so let me, let me tell this again. It was about, I was in a hotel major city in China, and I had made it very clear that I did not want to interact with the underground church. The, the, the government was, was watching us, and specifically me. It was interesting. Anytime I had a group dinner, I always had, had, was, was seated beside somebody that questioned me for an hour and a half or two hours about everything. They were a communist, and they questioned me, drilled me at dinner over and over and over every single night. We even recorded a few of these just, just because nobody would believe that it was this direct. We're supposed to be at a big dinner, bank, whatever, and I'm just getting grilled every single night, day after day after day for weeks. And I made it clear I don't want to interact with the underground church. I don't want to put them at jeopardy into that kind of stuff. The, and the above ground church, the three self church, is a waste of time. didn't mean anything. But one night, about 3 o'clock in the morning, I get a, a phone call in my hotel room on a phone, phone. You know, the old-timey things. Gling, gling, you pick it up, that kind of thing. And I, and, uh, I got a phone call, and I'm 3 o'clock in the morning, I'm like, what? And I answered, and it said, um, I don't remember the room, but they just said a room number, room 210, something, and then hung up. They had not warned me ahead or said anything, but I was like, okay. So I hung up. And I didn't know if this was a good idea or a bad idea, but I headed for whatever room that was. That's all they said, room. And so I headed down to, there was a couple floors different than me, so I headed down to this room. I knocked softly on the door, hoping that this was a good moment. And uh, because we knew our rooms were bugged, they had put, they had put all kinds of, that's, that's a given. That's a given in any communist country, okay? So I go down, knock on the door softly, open the door, I walk in, it's dark. Somebody turns a light on, and there's about six or seven people in the room. One was a Chinese um, pastor of an underground church, and another one was a North Korean missionary to Chinese teenagers. 
uh, it was a woman. They had both been in jail. We talked for two or three hours. They had both been in jail multiple, multiple times. And, and in case you don't know this, the, the North Korean government has an agreement with the Chinese government. If the Chinese government find a North Korean dissident, um, escapee or whatever, they will bring them to the border of North Korea and China and hand them over to the North Koreans and they will shoot them in the head right there at the border. That's the agreement that they have. And these people were in danger of this and they, they asked me, They said, Pastor, would you pray for us? And I thought, nope. I'm not, who am I to pray for you? I just want you to touch my, just put your hand on my head. That's, you don't even have to say words. I am, I am not worthy to walk in the same footprints that you people walk in. And they wanted me to pray for them. These people break the law every day in risk of their lives just so they can minister to somebody, just so they can hold hands with somebody and pray, just so they can read a little scripture or hand this, literally hand a couple pages of a Bible to another person that is going to be passed around to another person, another person. Why? Because Jesus to them is real. Jesus to them is something you sacrifice for. Jesus to them is somebody who has given his completeness to them. They're going to give their completeness back. And they give everything in risk of just getting together for a few minutes with another Christian and praying and reading the Bible or worshiping or singing or whispering a little song together. And these people ask me to pray for them. And I come from a country where going to church is something we do about once every two or three months. That, that going to church is something we do for social. There's not transformation in our lives. There's not, I'm going to have break the addictions of drugs, alcohol, pornography. I'm going to stop being a, a, an adulterer or a fornicator. We don't, that's not our Christianity in America. We, we have a fake Christianity that's built upon if I'm happy this week or if the pastor has made me happy this week. I've been doing this for 30 years and I get sick and tired of people coming to me and saying, I'm leaving the church because you didn't do this or you didn't do this or you didn't do the first 10 years I was in ministry that drove me crazy. You know what I think now? <laughs> Go where you want to. Do what you want to. It's not going to change what I'm saying. It's not going to change God's word. And it, and, it, and it should convict you to your socks. But instead, you go around talking about uh, that pastor or that church or whatever to everybody. Instead of, instead of saying, I'm going to serve God. I'm going to serve God. In China, you get one shot at getting a pastor your entire life. You get one shot. And they revere that man, not because he's special, but because he's trying to lead people to the Savior. And that's not what our church in America looks like. It's just not. It's just not. He, another thing that we're supposed to do, and this is why it has to be consistently part of the message, and I will always make it consistently part of it, is one of the reasons that one of the ways that we motivate one another to love and good works is we bring people to Jesus and we encourage other people to do the same. And guys, we have so lost that in the American church. Witnessing is not a priority in the American church. One of the ways I know that is because, and this has happened right here in this church probably 20 times. I've had people come to me and say, I can't come to this church anymore because all you do is talk about witnessing. Then go somewhere they don't talk about it. You'll be very comfortable. 
but I'm always going to talk about it. Why? Because somebody witnessed to me, and I got saved. Somebody witnessed to me. A scrawny little Chi Alpha assistant director would come by my dorm room every single week and say, would you come to Chi Alpha? I didn't know what Chi Alpha was. I just thought this guy was annoying. But I didn't know until about a year later, my mother had called him when I got to college and said, will you harass my son? I don't know if those are the words she used, but that's what he heard. And every week he'd come knock on my dorm room. Hey, will you come to Chi Alpha? And I'd say, go away. I was mean to this guy. Turned out to be one of my mentors, one of the most important people in my life. He, he died about 10 years after that. And, and, and I, he, I finally told him one day, Gary, if you will just stop coming to my dorm, I will go to your meeting. I'll go, and I wanted to say your dumb meeting, but I was polite. Said, if you'll stop coming by, will you stop? Will you promise me if I come, you'll stop coming by? And he looked me right in the eyes and lied to me and said, I will stop coming by. And I asked him six months later or so, would you have stopped coming by? He said, no. He lied. But I'm saved because somebody witnessed to me. Guys, when do we care enough to do that? Okay. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1, Paul says, I think, one of the more powerful statements. As a minister, you can say, and as a Christian, I don't think there's really a separation between ministry and, and non-ministry here, although I do believe that I am accountable for more of being a minister, and Scripture does say that, by the way. Okay? But Paul says, and you should imitate me just as I imitate Christ. That's pretty not... That's, pretty uh, not um, intimidating on his behalf. He's not, let me say, I'm not saying it right. He's not, he was not intimidated by this. You want to you wanna follow me? Because I'm following Christ. Because I, I know I don't get everything right as a pastor. I know I don't. Man, I, man, I irritate some people so bad. I, I get that. And, and I come across as not caring or arrogant. I know those things are true. If you know me, you know they're not true. Here's one thing I can say, hands down. I'll say it and I stand before God for it. I'm doing the best I can to follow Jesus. Follow me and you'll be, you'll be close. You'll be on the right track if you follow me. But here's the thing. You should be saying that too. You should be saying that. You should be saying that first to your, to your family, to your spouse, to your children. It doesn't matter what gender you are. Wife, you can say to your husband, follow me as I follow Christ. And he should be able to say to you, it's the same back at you, lady. He should be able to say something because we're both following Jesus. Let's follow each other as we follow Jesus. Parents, you should be able to say that to your kids. Follow me as I follow Christ. You're going to make mistakes, but, but this was a big one. It's not as common nowadays. We, we really have changed as a society. But back in the day, husbands sat home a lot and wives went to church. When I was a kid, 80, 90% of the congregation was women. They, there weren't a lot of men. Men were sitting at home on Sunday mornings reading a paper, watching football, whatever. And then when kids got to a certain, especially boys, when they got to a certain age, they'd stop going to church because, well, dad's staying home. Can you say, follow me as I follow Christ? Follow me as I follow Christ. Get in line. We're all headed to Jesus. I'll give you some good examples. I'm going to make some mistakes, but I'm going to give you some good examples overall. Imitate, imitate me as I imitate Christ. I'm so glad that you always keep me in your thoughts and that you're following the teachings that I passed on to you. That's motivating one another to love and good works. Philippians 3, 17. Dear brothers and sisters, 
Pattern your lives after mine and learn from those who follow our example. This is, this is why we get together. This is why we get together as a body is because we can follow each other. We can learn from each other. This is not just younger to older. This is all across the board. In fact, one of the tragedies that I see can kind of plague the older generation is they think they get to a point where the younger generation is only learning from them. They're not learning from the younger generation. That's not scriptural, guys. Older generation, you need to be learning from the younger generation, just like they're learning from you. Men learn from women. Women learn from men. That we, married couples learn from non-married people, and, married, and non-married people learn from married people. Young couples learn from older couples. Older couples learn from younger couples. One of the things that's really healthy is when an older couple that's all kind of stuck in their ways, and, and I, I know what that looks like. I'm, I, this is my 30th year of marriage. We're going to celebrate 30 years this year. I know what it looks like to get stuck in ruts marriage-wise, and, and I see it from Linda all the time. I know what it looks like. But the reality is sometimes older couples, you look at younger couples and you're like, man, we should love each other better. You know, young couples, they just, you know, after a while you're like, but then, but then after a while that kind of breaks and you're like, you know, maybe we should kiss more. You know, things like that, right? Because it's learning back and forth. It's learning back and forth. He says, for I've told you often before, and I will say it again with tears in my eyes, that there are many whose conduct shows that they are really enemies of the cross of Christ. You realize how big this is on his spirit when he says this? They are headed for destruction. Their God is their appetite. They brag about shameful things, and they think only about this life here on earth. And you, you understand he's, he's talking about the church. He's talking about church people. But we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives and we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our Savior. Are we? Are we? Here's the second thing. It was the fourth in the list. Meet together and encourage one another. Helping the spiritually young and immature to reach maturity. That's part of the responsibility of the church. Now that becomes difficult sometimes because society is always pushing back against this. And, and Satan is the, the orchestrator of this. He's always pushing back. A big deal about 15 years ago, I saw a major transition in society where the, the kind of the call of the day was, who are you to tell me? It didn't matter what it was, but who are you to tell me? Well, that was, that was being bought in the church. That was being caught up in the church where, where who are you to tell me? Nobody can tell me anything. I pretty much know everything. We pick on millennials so much nowadays. That wasn't millennials back then. Millennials were still in junior high. It was, it was the, the, I was the top of that generation, the Generation X mentality. Who are you to tell me? I'll make my own decisions. I'll make my own path. And, and I do believe, by the way, that this is a strength of millennials. For the most part, a strength of millennials. I think the world is so wide open and there's so much that millennials realize there's somewhere to learn, something to learn from every corner, every person, all kinds of things. At least that's my perception of that. My generation, who are you? Now I was about 35 at the time, but who are you? Guys, we can learn from everybody. You can learn from everybody in this room. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick on somebody right here. And um, I don't, he's not physically big enough to do anything about it. So. 
But I have been watching, and we've been having these conversations um, in our staff meetings and all kinds of things about Zach Stare. And I am watching that kid grow. I am watching that kid hunger for God. I am watching, and, and his brother too, but, but Zach, you, you know, to some of you, he's just that long-haired hippie boy playing the guitar. But I am watching that kid grow. I am watching him think differently. I'm watching him transition in his mind and in his spirit and reach out for God. And, and I, this makes me sound bad, makes me sound like I'm picking on that, but I have said this probably 10 times to, to Pastor Josh. I never saw that coming. I didn't expect what I'm seeing from Zach happen. I didn't expect that. It's convicting me. It's, it's Moving my spirit. Guys, you can learn from anybody. You can be motivated to serve God from anybody. Some of the strongest theological statements I've ever experienced in my life is when my kids looked at me and said something. And it, and it cut me to the quick. You can learn from anybody. You can learn from a five-year-old. We've got to, to be pushing each other to maturity. Encouraging people going through difficult times. Walking alongside people that are questioning God. That's a normal thing. You can't be alive very long. You can't be a Christian very long at all without questioning God. Questioning His, his um, existence, for one thing. Veracity. His authority. When you see some things taken care of and some things not, you begin to question God's sovereignty or, his, or, his, or not His transcendence, but His eminence. You, you begin to question, is He really connected or concerned? You've got, to, you've got to be able to walk alongside people with that. This is one of the biggest things as a young minister I begin to realize is the church does not do this well. We've never done this well. And, and back in my day when I was junior high, high school, those kind of things, if you ever said something like, well, I'm not sure of this about God, you were, you were attacked for that kind of stuff. You're, you're a, a witch. Let's burn you. You know, that kind of thing. Instead of somebody saying, you know what, I've had the same thoughts. We all had to act so mature. We all had to be so fake. Instead of saying, I had the same thoughts. This is one of the reasons I say this around here so often. I have literally been in the middle of a message. Not this morning, because I'm on a horse this morning. But, but I've been in the middle of a message about the, the grace of Jesus, or the, or the forgiveness, or the power of God, or whatever. And in the middle of the message, the back of my head, and, and I don't know exactly how this happens, but it does a lot where I'm thinking one thing and preaching something and I'm analyzing what I'm preaching. I know it sounds like schizophrenia, and it might be, but in the middle of a message, I will say to myself, man, I hope this is true. Because if not, we're all duped. I really, you know, I'm saying, God is, God is in control of everything. In the back of my head, I'm saying, God, first, I'm not sure you're in control, and second, I'm not even sure you're real. And then through God's word, out of my own mouth, God shows me and convicts me and strengthens my spirit. I don't know how to explain it. It sounds, it sounds like I'm just crazy. But, but that literally is what's happening. We need to be able to walk alongside people that don't know for sure that God is real. Now, if it's the same person for 10 years, you might just need to slap them. Because somewhere you're going to have to get it. But at some point, there are major transitions of life where we, where we really have to process. And you need to be able to walk with somebody else that's doing the same thing. 
We've got to truly love people. Love them transcendently. Love them to Jesus, not to you or to your church or to whatever. Love them to Jesus. Love them past you. Love them to Jesus. Hebrew chapter 3, verse 12. Be careful then, dear brothers and sisters. Make sure your own hearts are not evil and unbelieving, turning, turning you away from the living God. You must warn each other every day. Now look at this is the interestingness of this verse. He says, <clears throat> don't have unbelieving hearts. So warn each other every day. Why? Because he knows that our propensity as human beings is to go down that road. He's not slamming us for us, but he is warning us strongly about this. Make sure that you're not questioning God all the time. Why? Because it'll, it'll ruin you. So encourage the person next to you that's doing that same thing and have them encourage you. Because you're going to be doing the same thing sometimes too. Okay? You see how he wove that all together? Make sure that your own hearts are not evil and unbelieving. Turning you away from the living God. You must warn each other every day while it is still today. So that none of you will be deceived by sin and hardened against God. This is where we have to, for this to work. You have to be open and honest and ready to admit that you're struggling with stuff too. This is the major, this is the major um, <clears throat> separation that I saw growing up. The, the, the church leaders, the spiritual leaders were all way up there and they were perfect. And then there was all the commoners that were all a bunch of sinners. And we didn't realize, because I was a commoner, we didn't realize that those pastors and church leaders and all that stuff were just as sinful as we were. They had just as many problems. They dealt with issues. They did all the same stuff. And, and, and they did the best they could to serve God, I think, mostly. Um, and then some of them didn't. But we would put them on such a pedestal that we didn't ever think we were going to get there, so we quit trying. When in reality, we need to all be open and honest and confessing our sins, working through this. And this is more like accountability stuff. This isn't like stand up in the middle of church um, and confess your sins, Okay. I don't think that's the place for it. I think that's more, you need to be able to trust the people around you, right? So <clears throat> you don't know if you can in the, in the body. So get, get your accountability groups and confess to each other, talk to each other, warn each other, warn each other. In, in one of the accountability groups that I, that I meet with regularly, this is one of the things that I have heard four or five different times in those settings. And, and it's been said to me and it's been said to other people in that group, be careful because that thought process or that attitude or that temptation is going to overtake you. I can hear it in your voice. I can see it in your, your mind, your spirit. Be careful because it's already pushing you farther than you should be. And then we pray and we talk to each other and we pray. Because immediately there's conviction. You realize, yeah, you're right. This, that's what he's talking about here. We must warn each other. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 9. For God chose to save us through our Lord Jesus Christ not to pour out his anger on us. It's never been his desire to, to be mad at you or to punish you. Or, that's not God's desire. It's never been his desire. If that was his desire, he wouldn't have sent Jesus. Christ died for us so that whether we are dead or alive, when he returns, we can live with him forever. So encourage each other. Build each other up just as you are already doing. We need this. We need this right now. If, if there's anything the last two or three months have taught us is that you need me, I need you. I, I, like three or four people hugged me today. I, I kind of liked it. <laughs> not a lot. I'm not totally all in the camp. In fact, those four will probably hold me for a couple months. But I was like, all right. It was kind of good. Not a lot good, 
So encourage each other, build each other up. Dear brothers and sisters, honor those who are your leaders in the Lord's work. By, by the way, the leaders in the Lord's work doesn't necessarily, it's not limited to, I would say it is, but it's not limited to your pastor. Okay? I, I don't shy away from this. I, I, am a, I am the leader in this church, and I am a leader in, in people's lives spiritually. I understand that. I don't, I don't shy away from that. It's a little intimidating sometimes because I think there's other leaders in this, in this church too. There's many other leaders in this church. It, it, it's, it's, I get, I, I'm proud to know these people. I'm proud to minister alongside of them. Our board, I'll hand any of our board members to you as an example. Live like these people. Because we have amazing board members in this church, godly men and women, godly men and women that, that lead spiritually, that pray for you. That these, are, these are leadership that God has put in your life. And, they're, and they're, that's because they're voted leaders, but there are other leaders. There are, there are leaders spiritually all through our church. Our pastors are leaders. There are husbands and wives all through our church, they're leaders. Respect that. Respect that God has put somebody in your life. Even if they don't know they're a leader to you. You, you know what I'm talking about. You watch somebody and you follow their life. They never know it. They never know. And then like at their funeral, you say this. And they never knew. Okay. They work hard among you and give you spiritual guidance. Show them great respect and wholehearted love because of their work. Live peacefully with each other. Colossians chapter 3 verse 12. Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must... Be serious about this. You must. My computer, my thing just went off. You must clothe yourselves with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. You must. Make allowance for each other's faults. Forgive anyone who offends you. Man, that is a, that's a powerful sentence right there. That's a difficult sentence. Forgive anybody that offends you. I, I literally thought this out loud um, and I was praying, and I've, thought, and I've thought it other times, but I literally thought it out loud to God one time in a prayer. I said, God, can I hit them first? I was serious. I wasn't, like, joking. I'm like, this, they did this. God, you know they're wrong. Um, how about I hit them, and then I forgive them, and you, know, me, you and me love on them after that. Mostly you, God. But, because why? Because human nature says that. Human nature says, I'm going to get back at them. They're going to pay for this. That's the number one reason people don't forgive, because the person must pay for it. And if I forgive, we, we tell ourselves, if I forgive, they don't pay for it. Like somehow you can actually make that happen. But remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. I love that sentence. Let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. Let the message about Christ and all of its richness fill your lives Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. That's why we got to get together. That's why we have to get together. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. That means out of your spirit. Um, Psalms and hymns are written. Spiritual songs come from you personally. You understand the difference? Okay. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Let's pray. God, I put myself on your altar. Lord, I, I want to be, I be the, the servant of yours that you've called me to be. I want to be the, the pastor that you've called me to be. I want to be the, 
a spiritual leader in my neighborhood that you've called me to be? God, I want to be the witness. I want to be an example of you in all times. Lord, and I pray that for everyone in here. I believe, I believe that everyone in this building, everyone listening at home, I believe at the bottom, at, at, at the, the core of who we are, that's our desire. So God, help that rise to the surface where it becomes not just our desire, but our priority. It becomes our direction, our purpose. Lord, I want to be what you call me to be. I don't want to be who I have tried so hard to be. Lord, I want to encourage people. I want to I want to motivate them to love and good works. Lord, I want to motivate people to tell others about you. The greatest thing we will ever do in somebody else's life. Greater than anything we could give them. Lord, I want to tell people about you. Lord, I want Church of Barrogate to be that place. But that just is happening all the time. Lord, help us to... to, to encourage people towards you. Help us to encourage people to minister to others. We pray all this for your glory, not for, not for church at Briargate or for, for our glory, but Lord, so that you can be glorified. At the end of the day, you can be glorified. That you're the king. We're not the king. You are. You're in charge. We're not in charge. The church is your body. It's not our church. It's your body. Lord, help us to be who you've called us to be. And God, and I pray, I pray that this, that this silliness that is invading our country and this just demonic control that's sweeping across our country right now, God, that first the church will wake up and see it for what it really is. And that second, we will begin to push back. That we begin to push back. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Let me leave you with a couple things. And then for you here, you can leave. And for you at home, you can go to the refrigerator or whatever you can do. So, guys, let's be intentional. Think about this. How can you be intentional about these things that I've talked about this week? How can you be intentional this week? Write these two things down. Motivate and, um, and, and assemble together. How can you be intentional about that? Maybe just have another family over for dinner and just, just get to know them. Maybe you just don't know them that well. And then pray together. Not just thank you for food, but pray for them. Pray for their family. Pray for their kids. Have them pray for you. Pray for somebody else in the church randomly um, as a group together. Do something. Be intentional. That's the main thing I want to leave with you is be intentional. Be intentional about this. And then the second part is Pay attention and start thinking about it now because we are going to go through this again as a country and it's going to be soon. It's going to be soon. There's going to be another reason. I don't think it's going to be exactly the same thing like a pandemic. There's going to be another reason the church can't meet together. And it's going to seem legit. So start thinking about it now. Start processing it now. All right. Before noon tomorrow, God's going to give you an opportunity to tell somebody about Jesus. Do the best you can. Tell them about Jesus. And God will honor that in your life. It's a guarantee. All right. So if you're in this building, um, put all your masks and gloves back on and uh, shake hands or do whatever. If you're at home, uh, hug somebody. Uh, hug the dog. Do something. And uh, we will see you or connect with you Wednesday night. Have a great rest of your week.